San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. You can get all these podcasts on iymoney.com, and they're free on iTunes if you search the title of the show. And now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinary. He's an accomplished marathon runner. He is a best-selling author and lecturer and a family office expert advising several high-net-worth families. His name is Richard Musio, Richard, good evening. How are you? Doing great. Survived the uh, tsunami and the torrential downpours and the <laughs> blistering heat. And I think there were locusts one day. I don't, don't quite remember anymore. Hey, but uh, congrats last weekend. Was it last weekend? We, uh, the, um, the U.S. Open, the women's um, champion. All-Italian final. We, yes, Flavia Panetta. Panetta. How about that? And then mm. on the men's side, congrats to Novak. And to the number one junior in the world, who is from Rancho Santa Fe here, Taylor Fritz. He won the, uh, the junior tournament, the junior U.S. Open, which I think was pretty fantastic. Fabulous. That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I emailed Billie Jean King and Ilana, and I said it's a darn— That was on court 17. I go, why don't they let those kids play their championship right before the, the men's or the women's final? And they agreed with me. I got an email back, and they said it's a shame that they don't— uh, that they don't do that, and they've had this. This has come up every year, but maybe this will be the next year will be the year. Speaking of famous people, we've got a, a gentleman on the line who uh, that's all he's done is work with famous people his, his entire life, probably the past 60 years. He's written a volume, a voluminous tome about his exploits and memoir, and uh, his name is Dick Gutman. How are you, Dick? It's so great to talk to both of you. Thank and, you. And to uh, be talking to people in one of my favorite parts of the world. <laughs> well, San Diego. Actually, every place you named at the beginning is someplace I love. My daughter's up in Seattle, so I'm happy that they got a good mention. Excellent, excellent. Well, I mean, uh, for folks who don't, I mean, you are a legendary Hollywood press agent, publicist. The name of your book is Star Flacker, Inside the Golden Age of Hollywood, but uh, you're way more than just a, fl- a flack. I, is, is that term still used a lot, uh, Dick, or not so much? Uh, if I have my way, it'll be used, because <laughs> I, I, I think uh, the, the uh, death knell of practically everything is when you take yourself too seriously. True. And I, I, I know if I were a police officer, I'd rather be called a cop. Because a cop somebody gets his hands dirty and gets something done. True. And and a police officer is a guy who's sending out dispatches. Yeah. Well, your book's phenomenal. I mean, you've represented some of the biggest names in Hollywood for many, many years and continue to do so. But just to give folks an idea, you know, Orson Welles, Marlon Brando, Groucho Marx, Charlie Chaplin, Marlene Dietrich, Barbara Streisand, Gene Hackman, uh, Judy Garn, Frank Sinatra. I mean, unbelievable. Marilyn Monroe, Jack Nicholson. I could go on and on and on. How many clients have you had in your life? Have you ever told it up? You know, I've tried. I've done the rough math. My guess is probably 700, <laughs> 800 clients, and probably two to 300 legends. Absolutely. And they, they, what a blessing that was to be able to work. You know, in, in none of the cases do I take credit for that. I just take credit for being the right place at the right time. But it's, uh, you, know, you know how, well, as Richard's involved with uh, wealth management, mm-hmm. uh, I am too. You know, uh, fame 
and reputation is wealth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's what I do is is uh, fame management, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not it's not how much you get for the people; it's how the people are are viewed by the by the the audiences that, that they need to reach. You know, that's an interesting concept because we have a valuation expert on and He's a sponsor, Carl Sheeler, and to put a valuation on the fame of various clients and individuals would be a fun thing to do, I think. Richard, how about we try that sometime? <laughs> well, you see it happen all the time in lawsuits over the use of yeah. names, use of images. I mean, look at look at uh, Michael Jordan just won a big case. Yeah, regarding the use of I'm, his name. And you've got some uh, celebrities who have passed on who are making a. I mean, Michael uh, Michael Jackson's estate's making 150 million a year, I think, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, Elvis. So some people, Joe, make more money when they're dead than when they're living. Yeah, isn't that something? Well, I, I, Paul Newman was a very close friend, mm. client, and a, a person that you know, the most one of the most admirable people you could meet, mm-hmm. and fun. Except he couldn't tell a joke. It's the one that he couldn't do. <laughs> oh yeah, I read the one in the book. I didn't quite get the joke, but, but it'll... nobody got the joke. But when he he said it was such enthusiasm. Yeah, well, and, he... and he was Paul Newman. You know, he was yeah. number one. When the star and, tells a joke, and you everyone. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> then you say, "Why did I laugh? What's funny about that?" My dad says, uh, "I told my dad once, money's money. He goes, money's money's money is money, my little sonny. But a rich man's joke is always funny. So maybe there's something behind that." Could have been. I don't think that was. I think it was. His enthusiasm. Oh, okay. You know, it, it, I'm think, what is, that's one of the things that that have to do with stardom, and that there's there the intensity of the. Ah. Okay. Cary Grant could look up at something with a, a strange look, and and it would be funny because it had so much energy and. <laughs> well, they were, in it. they were actors after all, so they must have known what they're doing. But Dick, let's get into your career a little bit. Uh, you were from Missouri originally, and then matriculated somehow, got into the UCLA film program. So uh, tell us a little yeah, about your youth and. Well, we were in we were in Missouri. My dad was a druggist, and at a certain point, everybody had gone off to uh, to. Uh, um, Mobile or, or California to do work in the war factories. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get anybody to work the store with them. He sold it. We came to California. What year it was, was that? my dream. I'd always wanted to be a writer mm-hmm. or a journalist, and this was the best place to do it. So, what year did your dad move out here? 45. 45, okay. So, wow, right at the end of World H- War II. How the... old were you in 45? 45, I was 11. Okay. 11. Okay. I was, I just passed my 82nd birthday. Gotcha. Wow. So grew up... And so that makes me about, oh, 61 years old. There right. you go. Yeah, we we subtract. So. <laughs> so, Dick, you went to high school, college, in, um, in, in all in the Los Angeles area? or Yeah, and then UCLA is the film school. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, I had actually trained to be a journalist. Mm. Uh, and uh, that was that was I was writing on a Hearst paper when I was 16. Mm. And... Um, but I was at UCLA, and I needed a job. And mm-hmm. I went to the Bureau of Occupations. Uh, some company named Rogers & Cowan needed an office boy. Mm. I was well qualified. They needed the deliveries. I had a car. <laughs> so I'm, I go to this company, and walls are lined with Musée, Musée d'Art Moderne posters. I figure something to do with art. Mm-hmm. I'm making deliveries. Knock on the door, Kirk Douglas answers the door. <laughs> I think, wait, what is this? What is this business these guys are doing? You were so sold right there. Deli- <laughs> I started reading the memos I was distributing, uh-huh. and I first time I'd ever heard of publicity. It didn't occur to me there was such a thing. Yeah, you could make but a living off of it. <laughs> it. It was what I was born to do. Yeah. I was trained in journalism. I knew film. Mm-hmm. And it, it made and, and, and knowing film was 
you know, with somebody like Paul Newman, you have a lot of conversations when you're driving to to a, an interview. Right. And uh, and it all can't be, uh, you know, who's who has the best hot dogs. And so Paul would talk film, and it was really important that I had the the basis of knowledge that mm-hmm. uh, I could deal with these people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, was, it was really quite extraordinary. In fact, one of the uh, I, one of my favorite stories, I think, is in the book right at the beginning, mm-hmm. was um, Paul and I w- would talk film a lot. So, and I and he was he, he sort of respected me because. Uh, he direct, his first film that he directed was uh, Rachel Rachel. We did a great job on it. Uh, it very deservedly got four nominations, including for best film. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he calls me one time. He says, "Come over. I need to show you something. Go to Paramount. Nobody else in the room." He sits down with me. He says, "We're going to watch this movie. Uh, we watch a movie called WUSA, and it was obviously something he cared about because it was." A sort of a prescient uh, story about how right-wing radio was going to start having a very powerful effect in American politics, mm-hmm. and uh, and it, it had people that I absolutely love, all clients: uh, Larry Harvey, Tony Perkins, Paul, Joanne, uh, Cloris Leachman, Joanne Woodward, his wife. And Paul and, was direct. Um, and Paul was directing this, right? No, he didn't direct it. Um, I'm going to say something bad about it, so I'm not going to say okay. who the director was. So anyway, at the end of it, he says, so tell me, give me it to me straight. What do you think? And I, I, I didn't like it. And um, I, so I said, well, you know, I, I think what we can do is uh, there's all these songs with this Neil Diamond kid. I think, you know, let's do an album with that, and you and Joanne will go out and say. And he says, no, cut the crap. <laughs> what did you think? And I, uh, and he, he says, I... I don't want to hear what you think I want to hear. I want to hear what you think. And uh, and it's fine. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah. I said, okay, who am I pulling for? That's all I had to say. Yeah. Because you're not pulling for someone in a movie. There isn't any movie. Yeah, And exactly. uh, he said, okay, thanks. Wow. And so um, I drive back. To, I was working for this Rogers and & Cowan company, and uh, and... I walk in. They said, Mr. Cowan wants to see you. Dick, can we hold it right there? Because we're going to take a little break, and that'll be a good segue to come back in. We'll be right back with Dick Gubman, legendary Hollywood press agent, and Scar Flacker right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with the legendary Dick Gutman, Hollywood press agent, Star Flacker, to many celebrities and stars. And we left off with him uh, giving Paul Newman his frank opinion of uh, his film and going back to the office. And then what happened, Dick? So I go back and they say that the boss wants to see me. Mm-hmm. And it, when you know you just pissed off one of your top, maybe the top star in Hollywood, certainly mm-hmm. the top star, uh, you know that's not going to be good news. So I walk in, what, what did you do? <laughs> he said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, they called and they, you're off the film. And uh, what did you do? I said, well, uh, nothing. I put, you know, Paul showed me the film. He said, they didn't fire you for that. I said, no, but, you know, he asked me what I thought. He said, what? I said, <laughs> he asked me what I thought. And he looks at me, and then he starts to rise up like a fog, and his hands are waving in the ceiling. He says, and you told him. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but they they kept they held on to the film. You were that was just a little glitch uh, for, for yourself. Yeah, right? no, and, and Paul knew that I was still working on it, yeah. and uh, 
and it didn't do very well. And you became good friends. At, I mean, you were always good friends throughout his life, right? I mean, we, we you know, I worked. I, I have to tell you, I, Paul Newman wasn't my prime client. It's somebody I had the great grace and fortune to to work with. Mm-hmm. Paul Newman and Warren Cowan are the perfect example. Warren Cowan was sort of the king of press agents. He, the, the guy I worked for, did, wrote the rules yeah. and determined why publicity would be an important part in every star's life. Yeah. And uh, and Paul and 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 Warren stayed together to their mutual deaths, which were only about three months apart. And on his deathbed at ninety, Paul, uh, Warren Cowan was asked by some a journalist who was very someone he loved. Mm-hmm. He asked, "Is it true that Paul is is in, not in good shape?" Paul was at that time dying in a hospital in uh, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and um, Warren said, "No, he's fine." <laughs> so he was he was serving a client on his deathbed. Isn't that something? Giving his family that last few months together. And I just heard from his daughter. She read the book cried and said it, it was Warren. Oh. And she and I told her that story. She said, you don't understand. I was there with Warren when he was dying. A phone call came and Warren rose up from his fall, fall into the depths to take the phone call because it was from Paul. Huh. Paul called to say goodbye. Oh my gosh. How about that? Wow. So how, how many were, years were you at Rogers and Cohen? I was there about uh, 16 years. I took a couple of years off to go to Europe and uh, find out who I was. <laughs> uh, How did that work? Did you just say, I'm going to take a hiatus, or did you say, I'm leaving the firm and I'm just going to travel? What, or What happened was, um, I was always somebody looking for some kind of adventure, and I was given to, because I was a psych student, I was given to take, I like to take psychology tests. Mm-hmm. So there's this one test I heard about, uh, and they said they were going to give me a pill, and I would it would induce um, uh, a, a, a faux uh, psychosis, mm-hmm. and uh, it, w- it would make me insane for a given period. But I take another pill, and I come out of it. What idiot is going to swallow that pill? I was interested, so I did it. It turned out it was part of the CIA LSD experiment. Oh my God, the MK Ultra it thing, t- huh? Tore my head apart. Wow. Uh, I wasn't sure that I was sane afterwards, and I felt I, I really thought something bad was going to happen. So I took off for Europe because I didn't want my parents to have a front row seat on it. Wow. And uh, and I went to Europe, and yeah, I had a couple of bad years and nightmares and all, but everything good in my life happened. Mm-hmm. So later on, when they had this um, class action suit against the CIA, because a lot of people who took it committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's why it hurt. Right. And I'd had a, I handled. Um, uh, went through the cuckoo's nest. So I worked with Ken Kesey, who had taken it too. He was the author of what yeah. the cuckoo's nest. He was very famous for having indulged in a lot of the drugs of the period, and he loved it. He thought it was a great <laughs> thing, and it really made him laugh like hell to know that that I one of the worst trips I've always had by this kid who had never smoked a cigarette right. and a bottle of beer. Yeah. T- just, Timothy uh, Leary and the Merry Pranksters yeah. and so on. Yeah. So what year was that? My mid-60s, That was Dick? 56. 56. So yeah, then so I took off and went to I thought I could get jobs in Europe because a lot of films with top stars were starting to be made overseas. Mm-hmm. And there was one in Paris, and I, I thought I could get a job. It was Billy Wilder's um, Love in the Afternoon with 
Audrey Hepburn, Gary Cooper, and Marie Chevalier. <laughs> you, you can't get on a film that has more, you know, legendary talent on it than that. Yeah. But uh, I went on and I, I sort of got my, found out who I was. And I, and then because of the film, actually, I met my wife. Gisela. So, so when this, when this class action suit happened, my wife said, are you going to, uh, are you going to join it? And I said, no, I have, what, 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 uh, what can I sue them for? Every good thing in my ha- life happened because I took that stupid pill. Hmm. I wouldn't have gone to Europe. I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have uh, arrived at my adulthood until probably I was forty. So it was a, it was a great thing. It was so, just it was a very heavy price of it, of entrance. So you got a good trip out of a good trip, but you're one of the lucky ones, I guess. So. Yeah, it, it, every so often. If something happens, I can go into a rage and become. Well, our house burned down a couple twenty years ago, mm. and so I sort of fought my way up the, the garden and wanted to get in. The house was already burning, and you know the, those big pots you have that takes two people to lift it two inches off the ground. So yeah, it. and I, apparently I threw it through a window. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and, uh, and so Max Shell, Maxim Michelle came with us the next day. <laughs> put her around in the ruins of it, and here was this huge potted plant in the middle of the room and he says <laughs> oh my god what could have happened that we get this plant in there i said i have no idea <laughs> you're still up in the malibu area right uh dick we love it we're lifers yeah yeah of course when your neighbors must be one of your favorite clients barbara streisand you still work with her much of course i Maybe. mean you know even even when you don't do a lot you're all you're always there's always a lot to do yeah you know, barbara doesn't seek publicity. Uh, right. She does it mostly when she's promoting one of her charities or when you know one of her albums is coming out. It was gratifying to see her. I think she came on that Jimmy Fallon show a few months ago. But and that is that isn't that right? Was wasn't that great? Yeah, my God, the audience just went bananas, and because uh, she was great, and uh, and she really enjoyed it because Jimmy has a great musicality. Yes. What's and the- What's, Sorry? what's the story? I, I mean, I know she was supposed to be on Carson one night, and I think she got stage fright or so for some reason. It can't, and then uh, uh, she never came back on Carson, did she? For whatever. You know, that, that was I, I've I've handled her for the last thirty years. That mm-hmm. that was well before my time. When I when she decided to come back to touring, mm-hmm. which was the end of '93, it was uh, New Year's Eve of '93, '93 going on '94. Mm-hmm. Um, she had not done a she had not done a public performance other than for charities. Mm-hmm. She had not done public performance for 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 gain for 27 years, and it was it wasn't that it was because she did a very famous concert in Central Park, like 200,000 people, <laughs> and um, she forgot the words to her own song. You know, it was I think probably Evergreen, uh-huh. and um, and it. Terrified her, and yeah, and uh, her manager pointed out that well, now people have these uh, what do you call them uh, teleprompters or something teleprompters yeah. up, and uh, and so she was fine with it. So she she didn't uh, worry about it, and she went back and she's had some wonderful tours. Yeah, that concert in her backyard with Barry Gibb, uh, one voice. I think that was a fundraiser that she did, but I, I saw that on VHS, I think, in the mm-hmm. mid-'90s, and you must have had some involvement with that. That was her in that white dress. I mean, that was just a phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, but, they're, uh, but they're all phenomenal. Yeah, they are. Now, I tell you, one of the great 
moments that I've ever experienced. You feed off of audiences. You know, why do we go to a ball game instead of watching it on TV? You see it better on TV. Mm-hmm. You feed off of the audience. Oh, yeah. And this was on that night, New Year's Eve, December 31st, 93. Is that Las Vegas? And she or? came out, and audience goes crazy, crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, like, her second song is from Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And it's where the culminating moment is when she says, I've come home again. Whoa. Man, you could have <laughs> flown over the moon all of the energy from that audience. Was that, just, was that it, Las, it killed you. Was that Las Vegas? When it was she in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. Yeah, boy, oh boy. And it, boy, great it, stories. Dick, we got to take a little break right now. We'll be back sure. with the famous Dick Gutman in his own right, the Hollywood star flacker extraordinaire right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with the second half of the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life uh, and with the famous Dick Gutman on the line. But we've got to get to Richard right now to thank our sponsors. Hey, Richard's going to thank the sponsors, but you know what? I used to be Dick for about the first 20 years of my life. Then I became Richard. So if anybody still calls me Dick, they knew me like high school and before. That's how I know what era they're out of. Anyway, big thank you to UBS. We couldn't do this without UBS. Michael Caronta and Drew Friedis. UBS, a great sponsor for us. Our two favorite CPA firms on the planet, Jason Kruger CPA with Signature Analytics, by far and away the best CFO firm on the West Coast. Also, Paul Polito and Don Epic CPAs with Polito Epic CPAs up in San Marcos. Carl Sheeler, Berkeley Research Group. Carl's new book is coming out in December. But Berkeley Research Group is by far and away the best business valuation firm I have ever witnessed. They help business owners understand the risks that drive the values of their businesses And when you can reduce those risks, you can increase the value. Also, Joel Grushkin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. If you want to protect all that money that Carl and Joel help you to keep, how about Brenda Geiger with the Geiger Law Office specializing in estate planning and asset protection. In fact, Brenda's latest book just came out as well. Lane Elliott, California Republic Bank, really, really neat bank that specializes in working with wealthy families and family offices, particularly those that invest in closely held businesses and real estate. Upcoming guest, Neil Staley with Hub International, also known as Mars Maddox Insurance, a great employee benefits firm. The LG Experience and the Lombardi Group helping wealth advisors help CPAs by helping the CPAs be heroes to the CPAs' very, very best clients. We have a big continuing education event coming up with LG at La Costa, the Omni La Costa on November 2, 3, and 4. Yes, we are bringing women's professional tennis back to San Diego, Carlsbad, Park Hyatt, Aviara, specifically during Thanksgiving week. I don't have enough to do with my big Foundations Oceanside Turkey Trot that week. <laughs> so check out cldclassic.com. Again, cldclassic.com. And last but not least, Paul Hines, Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. And Paul, of course, heads up the endfinancialabuse.org project here in San Diego, helping to prevent financial elder abuse. So big thank you to all of our sponsors. And Joe, if our listeners want to learn more about this great roster of professionals, how might they do that? Well, all they have to do is get onto iymoney.com and get their cursor over to the sponsor tab. There's a drop down menu there. They can click on any one or all of them and all of their personal information is there, their contact information. And I know they've all been working with you for many, many years with great success. Correct? In some cases, dating back to the <laughs> 1980s, which I don't even remember and I didn't take any pills. <laughs> But, you know, so. but not in many, as many years as Dick Gutman, famous Hollywood publicist and star flacker who's on the line, who's been in the business like 60 years, right, Dick? 
60 years. There you go. Now, we left off with, what, Barbara Streisand? And I forgot what uh, we were talking about, the, the great ovation she got at the MGM. Well, it was just, you know, you, there's ways the audience feeds you. I, when she was doing one of the concerts, I think it was in Las Vegas, I would walk around and be in different parts to see how it's playing. And I went to this one place, and this couple was there, and every time she started a song, people, and then this woman was there, and she would faint on her husband's head, and he'd shake her and wake her up. And you know, you could see her thinking, oh, I never thought I'd hear her sing people, out she goes. And then the next song, whatever, you know, her voice, memories, and yeah. then out she goes. I mean, all the great vocalists, uh, but I mean, the, there's some kind of quality to her voice that just gets into your DNA or whatever, your nerve, your nerve system. I don't know what it is, but uh, she... My dad loved her, and uh, I, I mean, I, I've never heard anybody who has not liked Barbara Streisand's voice. I mean, she's just... It's impossible. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's, there's some, I tell you, one of the things in there, apart, apart from the verbal and the emotional perfection of it, Barbara deals in truth. Mm-hmm. I learned something from every client. What I talk, learned from Barbara is truth. And I'll tell you a really interesting thing. I was, I was, she knew I was writing this, and I didn't. I was going to check her on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think any of my clients would have asked me to. And um, and she, she said, well, what kinds of things are you writing? I said, well, it's mostly factual things or things that we experience together. Uh, but there, I said, I'm not writing anything that belongs in your book. She said, like what? I said, well, you know, when, when these uh, unauthorized biographies, every other year an unauthorized biography came out, all full of so such uh, fabricated stories mm-hmm. and and misstatements. And at the beginning, we would try to do like a scorecard, and we set up a truth alert on her website. But after a while, we gave up on it because it didn't really sink in, the, the fabrications. Mm-hmm. And so, but this one came out, and it had a lot of really erroneous things. And I said, uh, called her one day, and I said, what do you want me to clear up on this book? She said, only one thing. I said, you're kidding. She said, no, only one thing. I said, well, what is that? She says, where it says that my stepfather beat me. Mm. I said, well, Barbara, you know, the public is quite aware that your that your your stepfather was quite cruel to you. She says, yes, he was, but he never beat me. I want that made clear. Mm. Well, the one thing she wanted to change was to take away something that was erroneous and negative about a person who had hurt her yeah yeah what does that say about the character yeah so so dick how, how are stars today different than stars from the golden age of hollywood and how has the business changed too maybe you can yeah. any of that yeah, well that it's really what the book's about let me let me just make a, a point about the book because it's 650 pages don't run for the woods that doesn't mean you're going to have to read it like you read war and peace mm-hmm. this is a, a bedside reader for people who love movies yeah you put it by your bedside you read a couple pages, you go to sleep. It'll take you a year to get through it. Yeah, plus you, you, can, you don't have to read it in order, I noticed. You, know, no, I, you don't I, have to. You can right. put, you open it. Well, Larry King liked it particularly. He says, this is a book you can open to any page and just going to make right. you laugh. Yeah. Make you cry, mm-hmm. which was a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. But it it is, it, it's made to be, it's meant to be read a little bit at a time. And um, I... I, I like things like that myself. Yeah, but, but uh, back to the question, stars today compared to stars oh, from the stars, Golden okay. Age, the business. So, well, well, that, but the, the main source of the book is exactly the, that factor. Which, and 
as I wrote the book, I came to understand what the answer to it was. When I entered the industry in 54 uh, as an office boy, but in 55 I was a press agent, um, the the world was changing. The, the studios had run uh, for 45, 50 years. The studios had run everything, run the lives, mm-hmm. uh, determine who, how people would dress, how stars would dress, give them the lessons for what they needed to do, determine who they would date. And those days of dictatorship of the movie moguls was coming to an end. And some of the stars were starting to make independent movies. Mm-hmm. And so they started to get independent press agents to represent them. Their PR had been done by the studios before. And we were celebrating that. We really thought that was a great thing. Mm-hmm. And as I look back on it while writing this, I realize that the movie making continued, but the star making stopped. Mm-hmm. Because in the in the old days, Daryl Zanuck or Louis B. Mayer or Jack Warner would say, okay, it's Jimmy Cagney, let's give him another one of those. Uh, he's doing pretty good in those gangster movies. Let's do that. Okay, Let's get them. Let's let them do a comedy with Betty Davis. Let's see where where they go. With that and you know maybe Tyrone Power would hit, get a movie that didn't do it. But the next day they would put him into Blood and Sand or mm-hmm. you know, any one of the films that you know gave him such just. I mean, was there ever such a handsome man? Yeah. And and good actor. And what happened was that they built stardom. You know the the, the stars. Not until the latter part of the fifties really into the 60s, where the stars starting to pick and choose and take the films that came to them. Beforehand, they did what the studio told them to do. And sometimes for the worst, but almost always for the good. Well, maybe and they, yeah, they stopped making stars. Yeah, I think uh, the quintessential example, and it came to mind this morning, was in 1976 to get a film like Rocky, which really wasn't a you know a high budget film, uh, and, right. and it beat the, one of my favorite films of all time, Network, which uh, you know kind of upset me because uh, I I just thought it was a better picture, better writing, better acting, etc. But uh, you know at that time, uh, you know here you get a little in the, it almost was an I don't even know who put Rocky. I know he funded a lot of it himself, didn't he, Sylvester? Stallone. He, that was the perfect example of the independent film. I mean, that was the good of that because these guys with passion and talent, mm-hmm. he wrote that script, he certainly has talent, Yeah, uh, would create passionate projects of their own. And some look at um, um, Dances with Wolves. Mm. That, was, that was one man's vision. It was which was accomplished and made a great film. Mm-hmm. And um, in Rocky, the um, I think it was somewhat responsible for Rocky winning because, oh, God, I just forgot his name. Well, that's right. Uh, we'll take a little break, and we'll come right back with that thought. Give me a chance to think. Perfect. We'll be back with Dick Gutman, famous uh, Hollywood press agent, author of Star Flacker, best-selling book, Inside the Golden Age of Hollywood. We'll be right back after this. Hang on. That's just for you. <laughs> well, that, we'll be listening to that tonight, huh, Dick Gutman? What is it that we're going to see tonight? I, I said we'll be listening to that tonight. We thought we'd play that in honor of you and, oh, and Barbara. Oh, thank you so much for that. Yeah. I didn't realize that was in my honor. Yeah, then we're playing you on with Barbara. How about that? She's opening oh, for okay. you. <laughs> uh, I'm not responsible for her voice. That's God. That's God. But we were talking about, talking about Rocky. Yeah. Well, yeah. For, so I did. I did have a hand in 
I loved Network. It was a great film. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a hand in its losing to Rocky because uh, I was handling Talia Shire for the film. Mm. And she she asked Burt Young, who played her brother in the film, to come to me. Mm. Burt Young was uh, an ex-boxer, a single dad. His wife had died. I loved him, rough-hewn, the sweet man. And I thought that he had the right to go for a supporting actor role. Mm. a certain sporting actor nomination. And and he said, well, let's do it. I said, Bernard, I want to call the studio and find out if they're going to be giving you ads. If they aren't, I don't want to waste your money. It's going to be too hard. <clears throat> so I called Erwin um, Winkler, who was the producer. I said, Erwin, I want to handle Bert Young. I think I can get him a nomination. Will you please put his him into your ad uh your list of ads for, uh, for the film. He said, well, we're going for the uh, Oscar for Burgess Meredith. I said, let me tell you something. If Burgess <laughs> Meredith wins for Best Supporting Actor, a a supporting actor win is not going to sell four tickets. But let me tell you the other thing. You and Network are going to be, have, you ha- you're going to have similar numbers. If, if you're nine, which is what I'm looking at, and Network is ten, possibly 10, which is very possible, you're not going to win Best Film. It's going to win Best Film. He said, what are you, why are you trying to make me unhappy? I said, so that you put in ads for Burt Young, because he could be your 10th nomination, and that way, at the very least, you'll be even with Network, uh-huh. and you'll have a chance. And he did it. Uh-huh. And and it turned out that Network got 9, and Rocky got 10, and Rocky got the, the film. Yeah. It got the, got the award for best film, so this, but it was uh, and and Bert got a, a career, and that made me very happy because he was a worthwhile human being and and a great character actor. But can I ask you a question? You were making the point about about how how we don't have stars anymore. I think that's even more true for actresses, the f- the female actors. I mean, I, I think long ago that's in the golden age, f- female actors were known for a role. I mean, you know, Merle Streep for what was that? Um, that's true. Well, that, but that's, know, for you know, Sophie, and, she's the exception to the role. Right, she's yeah. the exception. But she and Helen Mirren and right. uh, Sandra Bullock are, you know, so established in their celebrity and in their talent that uh, they're going to prevail and get the roles that mm-hmm. will continue to help them prevail. Mm-hmm. But what what it was in the old days was the Betty Davises and the Barbara Stanwyck. I mean, there was never a better star personality than Barbara Stanwyck. She wasn't the most beautiful, but she was. She had a sass that was just so, and, and things that rhyme with sass, they were so uh, <laughs> beautiful that uh, that she was a star for all of her life. And and that was the studios making use of that. Um, Joan Crawford played the, the young... Um, uh, wild girl when she was young, and then she played Mildred Pierce, and she played Mommy Dearest, and she did, you know, had wonderful roles that the studios created to continue her stardom. But most actresses never had careers that went over 15 years. Mm. And one of the things I really cherish in my career is the people I handled that had careers that just continued. Jane Seymour, Jackie Bissett. I mean, they're you know they're still important actresses in their 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Angie Dickinson. I mean, these are women that I really loved, and somehow we helped them get the publicity that sustained their importance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you, it's, know, it's, you see Jackie Bissett. I remember I was handling, um, uh, working on uh, Glorious Bastards, the, uh, the Oscar campaign. And so we had um, Diana Kruger, the, the actress in it, a party for her. 
and Harvey Weinstein wanted us to introduce her to all the stars that were there. And um, and so I brought Jackie over to her, and I said, uh, um, uh, 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 Diana, I want you to meet. And she turned around, and she said hello, and then she saw who it was, and she went, <gasps> gasped. <laughs> you know, that was and Jackie at that point was in her sixties, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. the beauty was still there, and the the allure was still there. Sure. So um, and, well, it's harder for them to get parts. Uh, sometimes as um, as they grow older, which is not the same for men, but um, I think that's changing a lot too, though, right? I mean, well, Jackie is one of the few. I mean, not that everybody else did it, but some actresses do plastic surgery. Mm. And Jackie very famously said on, the, I think on the Today Show, they said, you know, you're famous for not having done it. Why didn't you do it? She says, well, I don't think it makes you look younger. It makes you look different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Hey, um, did, did you have a favorite movie of all time? Oh, I probably have 10. It's about 10? Okay. Yes, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's probably the same one that everybody else. Uh, uh, Third Man, uh, uh, Treasure of the Sierra mm-hmm. Madre, um, uh, Grand Illusion, the, the French film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, 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 how green was my valley? Sure. You know, it's incredible. John Ford was very famously a very conservative guy. Mm-hmm. He made more films that were compassionate and had human empathy than any other director. That's so the Grapes of Wrath and The Long Voyage Home, and uh, I mean, all of his films had. This great, great, great compassion. And he's a right ring, a right winger mostly. You say, or he's a right winger. But you know yeah. what? When the when the um, the blacklist came up, mm. Cecil B. DeMille was sort of leading the fight in the Directors Guild to support the blacklist. Mm. <clears throat> and John Ford stood up. He says, "Mr. DeMille, we all admire your movies, but we do not all share your points of view. Mm-hmm. We we support our our." Uh, fellow directors, uh, regardless of how they have conducted their personal... Isn't that something? You know, people have no idea the the blacklisting that went on and, and the careers that were destroyed back then, and uh, all, all by the ramping up of fear, which uh, seems yeah. to go on quite a bit even to this day in a lot of uh, other arenas, right? Well, like, that was my thrill in working with Kirk Douglas. You know, he wasn't, he was about as cuddly as a, a, as a cactus, but courageous, uh, I was at some party, and uh, Michael Douglas, who I handled, I handled Cuckoo's Nest Farm and uh, China Syndrome, and we handled them as a kid when he was on San Francisco, mm-hmm. San Francisco. So we're waiting for our cars together, and I said, you know, Michael, I'm doing a memoir. He says, oh, God, you knew everybody. And, uh, and I said, yeah, but the thing that astonished me is the guy that impressed me more than anyone was your dad. Mm. It came as a surprise to me. Hmm. Yeah, and he's an incredible guy. He said, how do I come out? I said, you do okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, let's talk about uh, your San San Diego connection. I know you work with the former film commissioner, Wally Schlatter, on a campaign here, and you say they're still teaching that in schools and... Tell us yeah, what that's Wally, about. Well, Wally Slaughter is, is a San Diego hero. I hope he's, mm-hmm. he's people accord that uh, rank to him because mm-hmm. we were we were handling a series called um, Simon and Simon. Simon and Simon, yeah. and it was shot in San Diego. And the producer comes to me, and and I was working with Wally, who was really 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 helpful. And the producer comes to me, and Simon and Simon was number forty eight, <laughs> and. Uh, Universal, my wife, 
Charlie, I'm on a radio show. I'll call you back. <laughs> Live radio, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the producer comes to me. He says, you know, uh, we're, we're going to have to leave San Diego. I said, really? I said, it's a really good part of the show. He said, well, you know, um, we're number 48, and they're holding us in because we handle, we do uh, Magnum PI. He was the same producer. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, but the network... Um, the network's not going to give us the same budget because we're not doing the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I said, he said, can, he said, but San Diego is like the number eight market. Is I said, it's number six. He said, well, all the more important. Can you go down there, work some magic, and keep them from being too too angry about this? Mm-hmm. And um, I said, okay, I made it to the other attack. So I called Wally, and he says, oh, everybody's going to be unhappy about this. Oh, they they wanted to change it from be shooting in San Diego to shooting in L.A. because it would be 50000 less a week. Yeah. And so um, I said, I have an idea. I said, arrange for me to meet with the Chamber of Commerce. We do. I said, here's what I want to do. I want to do a campaign called Is San Diego Sexy? And uh, the producer said, uh, well, you know, the shooting in, in Hawaii, Hawaii is sexy. Las Vegas is sexy. San Francisco is sexy. San Diego isn't, that, isn't sexy. That's what the the network said. And then you did like a big and postcard. So I said, let's do this campaign. Is San Diego sexy? Wally came up with the idea. He said, um, mm-hmm. we'll get all the um, all the uh, DJs to get behind it. We'll have them do a party. I said, and, w- and when we do the party, I want everybody who comes there make up some postcards that have um, the two brother two actors in front of the uh, the skyline. Right. And. Um, Every person, the price of admission is that they will have to send out 10 of the postcards to all these top press people whose addresses I'll put on. And they have to say a reason why San Diego is sexy. And the card will say, is San Diego sexy? Well, the San Diego Chamber of Commerce says, no, let's say San Diego is sexy. I said, a a statement is is always considered a lie. Only a question a question mark is holds any interest for the people. Yeah. So we do that. The show jumps to to, to number two. Wow. And eventually goes to number one. Isn't that something? In the ratings, right? In the ratings. Yeah. Well, because San Diego is sex. <laughs> well, that's that's what every the public concluded that because they they made the switch over, but wow. they liked the campaign because it was a question mark. Well, that is way cool, Dick. We really appreciate your time, folks. Get over to Amazon or one of these other online places. We get yourself Star Flacker if you're a Hollywood fan. And Dick Gutman, famous Hollywood press agent. Thank you so much for being our guest. Well, it's so great talking to you. I, I hope I didn't bore anyone. You were wonderful. Not at all. So anyway, thank you to Justin Hart on the board for making us sound great. To Richard, great seeing you. Thanks to Craig Blank, our co-executive, and to Dave Sniff, our programming genius here at KFMB. We'll see you next week. IYMoney.com for all these podcasts. Good night now. Thank you, guys. Okay, Bye-bye. take care.